Hi everyone, I'm Greg from Pilot Institute. We train drone pilots all over the country. Hi, my name is Haya from DroneXL, where we cover all the drone news on our website. Welcome to the latest episode of the Pixel Drone Show, our weekly podcast where we talk to industry professionals about what they do in the UAS space. From professionals who use drone to fly inspection missions to public safety users or even drone light shows, you will learn on the Pixel Drone Show that drones are much more than just toys. Before we get started with the show, I did want to announce that Kara is going to be stepping down from the show. Uh, we do wish her the best. Uh, she has been a great co-host with Haya and I, and uh, we've had a great time uh, hosting Pixel for the last year with her. Uh, she's definitely staying in the industry, and uh, we definitely wish her the best, but we know we'll come across her and maybe even bring her on as a guest uh, to talk about her photography. Now, Haya, this has been uh, kind of uh, an interesting week with the release of the Mavic 3, the Mini 3 Pro. Pro, uh, how have things been on your side? It's it's been very busy, and I've honestly I've been surprised uh, with how much interest there's been in uh, the DJI Mini uh, 3 Pro. I mean, uh, in a way, it wasn't really surprising, I guess, because there was a lot of interest in the original Mavic Mini and the Mini 2 as well. But uh, yep. like this, I think this drone might actually be more popular than the uh, over expensive Mavic 3, if I can say that. Yeah, I think I agree. And I think this was a, a slightly different reception. The, the Mavic 3 was a price shock, although this yeah. is more expensive, but I think there was such a price shock with the, uh, with that drone. And then the yeah. issues after the release. Now we don't have the, we, you and I have the drone on hands, but you know, it's not being uh, shipped yet. So we don't know what kind of issues there's going to be yeah. at grand scale. But yeah, I think this was a slightly different, differently received. Uh, so far, I think it's been a, a positive. Uh, a note from people. So uh, I'm kind of excited by our guest today. Uh, Tim is uh, someone that I've worked with for quite a while. He's with Gresco. So he, um, they do a lot of, uh, they deal with a lot of different drones and drone mm -hmm. manufacturers. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you're one of our customers that uh, are enrolled in the deep dive courses, uh, chances are some of these larger drones uh, came from Gresco, came from Tim because he allows us to test them and everything. So I'm kind of excited to have a discussion with him and, um, and talk about public oh, yeah. safety, talk about inspections. Uh, what are what are some of the things that uh, you think are going to be uh, discussed today, and, and the topics that interest you at this stage? Um, I think in general, when we do these shows, it's 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 fun and interesting to talk to people who are uh, very specific and specialized in how they use their drones, because it it kind of takes you away from, let's say, the consumer drones that we're talking about, like the uh, the Mini Three, and basically take a deep dive into okay, so this is how people are using drones uh, in in these certain industries, and uh, with Gresco being so um, based around utilities and and, and power solutions, uh, I really would like to know how they're using drones for their inspections, what kind of drone models, what kind of technology, sensors, payloads, and also the challenges that they run into when it comes to uh, the legislative sites uh, or the drone regulatory sites uh, uh, that we're living uh, with. Yep. Yeah. These guys are living and breathing drones. So, well, let's bring him yeah. on and then uh, let's start asking the question. All right, Tim, before we get into the nitty gritty of everything you do at Gresco, I want to get an idea of how you get into drone. What, what was the, the catalyst to getting you involved with the UAS industry? Yeah, it's a really good question. It kind of goes back a little bit. Um, so I'm retired 23 years in law enforcement. Um, and so back in 2009 or 2010, uh, I was promoted to police chief and decided to go to my city council and, uh, and the mayor and ask them if uh, I could do that. I think it was like a $600 uh, Verizon grant for a drone at that point in time. 
And, you know, I said, hey, you know, we're, we're doing uh, some drug search warrants. Um, there's, uh, you know, good opportunity to try to keep our folks safe before they're going into make entry into houses or seeing if there's any type of a, a dog in the backyard that's uh, going to cause us any problems. And so, you know, it was just more for situational awareness, that type of thing, and uh, overall safety. And <laughs> I think that was the only time I really got laughed out of the council chamber room and the uh, mayor's office. They said, you know, <laughs> no police department is going to be, you know, legitimate police department is going to have toys, you know, toy drones out there. So it was a, oh, wow. it was a uh, definitely <laughs> a no go, and which was unusual because most of the stuff they really did support, even if it was a little bit forward leaning. So they kind of drew that proverbial line right there at drone. So uh, from there, uh, I wound up working at the uh, FBI for a while, had some opportunity to, uh, you know, be a part of the Congressional Affairs Unit. And we had brief members of Congress about the threats that drones pose to national security, um, which was uh, very enlightening. And then from there, I went on to be the um, associate director over at the University of Michigan um, in Ann Arbor. And so one of the projects uh, that I was working on was the counter drone system, a, a drone detection system around the big house. And so I got to meet vendors from all over the world uh, that came out with the very best that I guess drone detection had to offer at that point in time. And so Gresco just happened to be one of those uh, companies that came out and participated. And uh, five months or so later, got a call about interviewing for a job and being a public safety uh, account manager. Uh, for their drone program. And uh, I accepted the position. Four months later, they uh, I think you get promoted to the highest level of incompetence sometimes in life. So I'm the director of the team now. So <laughs> I have a bunch of very smart people that work with me um, as part of that group. And so it was just, it was a journey that you could never really probably script out or think that was actually going to happen the way that it did. But I got to tell you, in two years into it now, and just really doing a complete deep dive into unmanned technology solutions across the board. As, as you guys know, this is, I, I feel like I got to join at a very exciting time, especially with all of the new diversified platforms, domestic and international. So it's been quite a ride, I'll tell you that. Sounds like uh, you were very much ahead of your time uh, already seeing the added value of drones uh, for first responders. Uh, can you tell us when you got started with Gresco? How many years ago was that? Two years ago with Gresco. Two years. Wow. That's right. Coming up on my anniversary, I got to remind my boss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what kind of gifts do you guys get at Gresco? Do you get a drone for your anniversary or no? <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know what we get? So it's headquartered out of Forsyth, Georgia, and I'm sort of yep. the uh, Yankee of the group up in uh, Michigan. So when I go down, it was uh, the most interesting, you know, cultural dynamic for me coming into that. I mean, Midwesterners are pretty nice, but, man, you go to the South, it's a whole different, you know, a whole different type of culture of, of that, you know, hospitality and just genuinely really nice people. And so I get down there and uh, I remember one of the district managers was was making something outside of the warehouse. It turned out to be boiled peanuts. So I don't know if you guys have had boiled peanuts before, but I had no idea what that was. And so it just went from there. Sweet tea grits. And, you know, I just had to learn that we were not going to be working through lunch hours, basically. So that was the thing of the past when I'm down in the South. You definitely, that's a sacred hour of the day. Um, but yeah. uh, just great people and very dedicated to making sure um, that their uh, customer and owners, um, it's sort of that other first responder you don't think about uh, all the time. It's the alignment that's out there that are keeping our communities uh, you know, energized and connected uh, that play such a critical role there. So it's, uh, 
man, I tell you what, I have learned a lot over two years in, in that electric utility industry uh, and also the different mission types that keep evolving here with uh, public safety. Yeah, you got to be um, careful with your grits in uh, in the south. Yeah, there's there's procedures to eating your grits correctly in the south, or you're going to get judged. So that's right. No sure sugar. Do apparently, research. no sugar. <laughs> you don't do that. That's not I, a good I had no idea. I had my first grits uh, earlier this year. I had no idea what it was, but uh, oh, now wow. I know. <laughs> so Gresco's been in business for for quite some time. Can you tell us more about how and when they started with their drone departments and how that fits in uh, into their bigger picture? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, if you imagine, so their, their electric utility supply, so electric utility supply for over 62 years, deeply rooted in the Southeast. Um, and they're in seven different locations, uh, physical locations, six different states. They're headquartered in Forsyth. Um, I mean, it's a half a billion dollar a year company that the CEO and, and a former uh, engineer at the, uh, at the organization said, you know what, these drones are going to be really important uh, someday to the electric utility industry. We know that when we talk about those inspections, trying to prevent outages, uh, power outages and, and communication outages, there's, there's a whole host of different things. You look at generation, transmission, distribution, uh, all of the renewables, and you see solar farms popping up all over the place. But yeah. what's really unique about Gresco is they said, you know, it was about five, six years ago. They said, we really got to get a team together. So they created a brand, Gresco Technology Solutions, um, and said, you know, we really want this group to go and learn as much as they can about this evolving industry. Um, try to understand, most importantly, the use cases for both mission and inspection. Inspection was always their driving focus or wanted it to be. But as both of you know, public safety was the early adopter. So even though the, the team's intention uh, was really just to focus on more of the inspection uh, aspects of things, electric utility, especially for uh, cooperatives and some of the municipals, really, you know, the adoption rate is still quite slow. Some of the IOUs and, and some of the others are, are much faster, but public safety, uh, they were right out in front of this. So we wound up developing a very large, um, uh, you know, public safety customer base that's been fantastic and we've learned so much. Um, but we, we also have a very, very strong focus and Gresco's focus is the inspection solutions for unmanned technology. So um, that's what the uh, CEO's vision was, but um, you know, public safety is always near and dear to him. But when you think of first responders, uh, especially if you're anywhere in the Southeast in those uh, heavy storm areas, trust me, um, you know, those linemen, I don't care where you're at in the country, they are vital uh, and they are definitely, you know, first responders. I remember uh, uh, policing traffic crashes into those uh, telephone poles, electrical poles. And, you know, I, I had no problem directing traffic around those things and not having to be tangled up and all that. They are uh, definitely, you know, hats off to them for the work they do. Yeah. So you guys do inspections, you guys do the, the public safety side of things. What are the services? If our listeners are not familiar, who would be hiring you to do things? Yeah, so that, that's a great question. So when people think about, so Gresco, we know you're a utility supply company. We know you have this technology brand. So are you a drone service provider? Are you, you know, uh, really what it comes down to is we're an agnostic uh, dealer with a wide variety of pretty much all of the major manufacturers and, and beyond um, that we represent, um, that we are a dealer for. And it's, it's, it's the hardware, as all of you know, it's the software, it's the you know, ancillary peripherals uh, that, that you need to make that mission or that inspection uh, the very best it can be. 
um, and we're moving into the advanced analytic world as well. Um, so really, our customer base is very strong in terms of, you know, us trying to empower them to have the right inspection, total comprehensive inspection solution or mission solution for what it is that their use case is. Uh, when we first started out, we were kind of like being all things to all people because it was very exploratory. Um, right now, I can tell you the heaviest focus that we have is in the inspection world. Um, that is where, you know, the vision is coming back into full circle. We will always be dedicated to our public safety customers and make sure that we have those types of unmanned solutions that they need um, at the ready and continue to pursue that. But, you know, when you really need to be known for something, right, like the thing that you want to be known for most is we are there to empower um, utility customers to make sure that they can conduct all those inspections. And so um, that's what our heavy focus has been. And there's a lot of different ways that you can go about achieving that. So for us, we really want to provide, you know, industry expertise, because again, that's the company we come from. We, we are the ones that are subject matter experts in that area. And so we have so many resources that we can uh, pull from, from form alignment to the different engineers and the folks that are working in the field. Um, but the relationships that we have with our being a cooperative ourselves, a part of the, uh, uh, NRECA, a, a much larger uh, cooperative um, national network, you have, again, so many uh, connection points there and your members are also your owners. So Agresco, in many ways, it, it becomes interesting when they're like, you know, the customer's always right. Well, technically they really are, especially when they're your owners, right? So that makes a lot of sense. But being having those, those close-knit relationships on many different levels, not just on the technology solution side, um, but it, it is, it gives you a great deal of insight. It gives you direct connection to practitioners in the field um, and the subject matter expertise. And it also gives you longevity. So being a part of a company that fully supports this type of, um, this type of service, a value added service is, you know, we're not going away, right? Like Gresco is gonna be around, you know, around for 62 years. We're gonna be around hopefully another 62 or more. And so, you know, we continue to grow and expand and develop. And so I think that that's what really sets us apart as well as that we have this sort of parent company that um, they're, they're in this for the long term game. They want to see uh, these you know, inspection solutions evolve and they want to make sure that they are doing everything they can to help minimize those power outages and communication outages that are happening and also prevent any type of disasters that come from uh, you know not having those lines inspected, from we see a lot of different fires that are going on, and and uh, you know that are threats to property and life, and so yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so those are really some of the core principles we're really uh, focused on. So you guys are active in pretty much every state in the country. Yeah. So we have a national uh, footprint, and um, again, I think our superpower is you know not only being so connected with the industry itself, but I think the other part of it is um, being an agnostic. Uh, dealer. And that is something that, you know, it's taken a while to really kind of understand that uh, to the degree um, that, you know, if, if you're telling somebody that's looking for, and, and if the first question, I don't care which one of us are in this value added resale uh, business, if the first question that we uh, don't ask is, what are you looking to use this technology for? If, if that is not the, the principal thing that we start with, what is the use case? Everything after that, I don't think, you know, from what I'm understanding and what I'm seeing in this experience is just, uh, it's not going to go well, right? Because everything comes down to what do you want to use it for? What is that traditional inspection or mission that you're trying to 
you know, have an unmanned technology for. And what's the purpose, right? So you want to make sure that it, it's increasing safety, right? You want to make sure that it is increasing effectiveness um, and efficiency. And, and ultimately, what it all boils down to is the deliverable. So what we really focus on, we have two sides to this. We, we call one of it the inspector um, series. The other one is more the defender series, more mission oriented. But the inspection part of it is we're going to go ahead and take, you know, whatever that use case is, we're going to put a suggested, um, you know, group of hardware, software, sensors, um, and, and, and put that whole comprehensive piece together. And we're going to go out and make sure that, first of all, it can conduct that type of data collection that will achieve ultimately the deliverable that they're going to need. Because, again, at the end of the day, everything comes down to that deliverable. Is it the return on investment? Is, uh, you know, cost benefit analysis? All of those things that you look at over the course of why would somebody adopt this technology? Of course, many people are also thinking it, it helps with the uh, um, environment. You know, we're not using, you know, fixed wing aircraft and, you know, some of the other things that might have a, a, a larger, you know, a carbon footprint or something to that effect. But least amount of environmental impact is something that, you know, is also important. But overall, it's uh, making sure that you can more efficiently, effectively do proactive inspection work and you can identify potential failures and integrity issues with structures, critical infrastructures, um, again, to prevent bad things from happening, not just from communities losing power or losing communications, but also from creating property damage or threat to life. So those, there, there's a lot of, you know, very serious aspects to this. And the more that we can help, I mean, you think about these linemen have been doing the work uh, that they've done in terms of inspections, basically since the time of Edison, right? You've got all of these the, the aging infrastructure out there, especially within electric utility in some places that, you know, it was built very well. And it was, it was uh, something that was a very high quality product, but, you know, it's not going to last forever. And so, when you look at the generation, transmission, when you get to distribution, things get a little bit different, right? The environment is very challenging and very uh, difficult to get to. And the standards for all of the different assets and components that are on those uh, different structures can vary widely. Um, where transmission towers are, are a little bit more standard um, uh, to a certain degree and uh, within the generation phase, you, you have to have different inspection solutions that are looking in confined spaces in vaults, in boilers, in um, inside the internal components of a hydroelectric dam. Um, so in so many of those GPS denied environments uh, that you need to have something that's gritty, something that can really do some, um, you know, uh, excellent rendering of, of, of imagery. And again, something that's gonna really drive at some type of deliverable. Uh, when you look at the type of drones for vertical structure inspections, you know, how many uh, telecom and, you know, cell phone towers that we have out there that we're doing inspections of and you know, how long does it take to do it? Um, is there any type of machine learning? And so I was, um, you know, EPRI had recently put on a, uh, a presentation at a uh, engineer and operators conference that I was at um, that, you know, was talking just about that. They're like machine learning. How are we taking, you know, something like the Skydio drone that's, that's uh, able to do, you know, you can put, point out your parameters for the 3D scans that are happening, whether it's inside of a, um, a power substation, or if it is that vertical structure inspection, but how can we take it to the next level where we're doing more than just a 3D scan, but we're really teaching these drones as much as we can to identify all of those different assets and components that are along those structures 
And so when we look at a deliverable later, the drone's actually going and inspecting what it's all of those different um, assets, parts, and components, and giving a report at the end that's basically saying, here are some potential failure points, and, and then maybe assessing those in certain degrees and rating them. So uh, when you really start looking at how vast our, our power systems are, um, and then how we are now with the renewables and you know with wind turbines and inspecting leading and trailing edges uh, to make sure the laminate is in is intact. It's it's absolutely fascinating to me. So coming from the world of being a public servant for so long at local, state, and federal levels, I mean, you know, closest thing I had to that was uh, I remember my midnight shift commander. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we had have a, a night where he just say, you know what, go around the whole city and start you know, marking down every uh, light pole that's out, you know, just to do this inspection, right? I'm like, man, this is the worst. That is not something I want to do. But knowing where these power outages are out, going and looking to see where there might be um, issues, uh, you know, again, it's 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 a tireless, you know, uh, situation. And you have vegetation growth, you know, that is, that is impacting, you know, right of ways. Um, and, you know, that encroachment can cause so many problems. And, and then with disease and infested trees that the limbs are literally uh, going to break off any time. Isn't it great to know ahead of time we, we can go fly those, you know, and do long stretches, especially you look at companies right now, like in uh, with census, you know, down in uh, in Florida, there out of uh, Daytona Beach, you know, they're creating this whole BV loss fixed wing, you know, go the distance, put a phase one hundred megapixel uh, you know, sensor in it or multispectral and be able to gather that data. And in some cases, I know folks are trying to run dual missions where they're really just trying to save the time. So it's absolutely fascinating the type of work that's being done and the use cases that continue to come up every single day. And uh, it, again, it's, it's something great to be a part of and it makes every day interesting. Um, and, and it's just a lot of problem solving is really what it is and working with other people to get it accomplished. Far greater, smarter people than me. But you, you, um, I tell you, it's it's great to be along for that and make sure that they have what they need when they need it. You can tell that uh, that Tim is not passionate about this one bit. I wasn't sure if I, you know, <laughs> when I went over to this in the first place, you know, you get so much fulfillment out of helping people on a daily basis, you know, and I was worried that going to the private sector and, you know, getting into this industry and doing this work, I'm like, you know, I don't know that I'm going to have that much fulfillment out of this, you know, because I really did feel incredibly fulfilled at the other work that I've done and, and I've loved it. And so it was a real like gut check. Is this something that I'm going to be able to do? And I tell you what, the the people with our within our public safety realm alone uh, at the federal, state and local level customers that we have, knowing that we're putting technology like Brink drone technology out there, where if you can put technology between that that first responder and whatever that incident or, you know, um, you know, volatile issues that's going on um, to help keep them safe. And then also members of the public safe, bringing a, a otherwise volatile situation to a peaceful resolve using a Brink drone. I mean, come on, it doesn't, it doesn't get any better than that. How could you not feel more fulfilled? Um, you have linemen yep. and you have, you know, public safety going home safely to their families at the end of every shift. And, and you're helping them do that through some really, you know, great technology. And so that is exciting. It is fulfilling. Yep. And uh, this is the most amazing, you know, uh, time to be a part of an industry like this, I at least in my opinion. I really, I'm really enjoying it. Then you get yep. to hang out with Greg and go to some really... <laughs> 
crazy places that you didn't think that you would ever go. <laughs> we've had and uh, you know fly drones and we've had some yeah, fun trips. Yeah, it's too much fun too. I got to make sure my wife, especially with all the traveling, I'm doing and make sure that she doesn't know just how energized I am about this, how exciting it is. I always just say, yeah, got to get another plane. I got to go to another really great place and meet with a lot of people I like. And it's really tough, but somebody's got to do it. Well, sounds sounds like you have energy for 10 and passion for 10. So that that part is definitely covered, I think. Um, I love how you were explaining um, basically how technical and how specific uh, drone flying gets really quickly. I guess funny, but when you talk to people, a lot of people don't, uh, they they might know what drones are, but typically their starting point or their their reference point is like, oh, a drone is is a toy for kids. It's something that you can fly. Whereas if you go down the rabbit hole and you talk about how drones are being used, like what we're doing right now, you see how specific it gets. And that kind of brings us me, brings us to the to the next part of this conversation uh training that's involved i mean if you want to fly drones commercially you need to have your part 107 but listening to you i can imagine that uh the training becomes very specific about the equipment that you use but also the the use cases and the missions that you conduct with drones can you tell us a little bit about what you guys do in terms of uh training pilots on equipment on missions uh, maybe even for part 107 and also whether you guys train people outside of the organization uh, as a service to get, let's say, a police department uh, starting up their drone program. So a whole bunch of questions yeah. kind of captured in uh, in one topic. No, that's great. Uh, <laughs> and I appreciate that. So uh, training is always very important, right? And then from the world I come from, training is especially important. Also having safety built into every aspect of what you do is extremely important. So, um, you know, we are there to help support customers, both inspection and mission oriented customers. Um, make sure, first of all, we get a the, the highest quality part 107, uh, you know, type of education and training you can get. The Pilot Institute, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, right? That's what we help augment our in-person uh, training with. So we do really, I mean, we basically do a hybrid is what we advertise and is what we actually conduct for all of our, um, you, you know, utility and public safety, industrial and transportation um, customers. Um, because to start your program, you want to make sure you're, you're doing it uh, the right way, following the regulations, making sure your compliance standards are in place. Um, you want to build a, a program that is sustainable, one that's going to be around and something that can be built off of. Um, and so we're, we're always very happy to, you know, uh, team up with Greg over at the Pilot Institute and, and help augment that off of our other, you know, in person. Because some people, you know, they just learn better in person. That's just kind of how it is. And, and, and then you've got a whole new group of folks that are, are learning uh, very well with the, the virtual setting. And so when you put them both together, we kind of think it's like golden platinum mixed because it just seems to work out both ways. But um, and then we always usually bring uh, Greg live into our class anyway. I'll put him on FaceTime anyway. Just put him on the spot. Be like, hey, there's this question. I can't even answer this question. How about you? So we'll throw it the most, you know, off the wall stuff at him. And for whatever reason, I don't know, he just always has an answer. And uh, so it's always great for us. But um, you get past that. You're right. You, you know, 107 is only one part of it. You, you really got to continue to take yeah. it to the next level. And so when we work with our different, um, you know, customers, in partners, industry partners, what we really try to do is make it very collaborative. Um, and because this is so emerging and because the type of inspections that are being done on critical infrastructure, you gotta be very careful. I mean, it's not just a, uh, you know, when you're flying around a you know high powered substation uh, and, and you are at a nuclear power plant and in some of these places, you have to know what are best practices, what checklists have been put in place um, what is the approach that should be used? And, and so 
what we do is we work with our industry partners and those practitioners in helping develop those out and ultimately, um, you know, develop those, those uh, specific inspection trainings off of them. One of the ways that we go about doing that is, um, you know, you go to enough shows and you got the tables and they look great. Like people, they spend so much, you know, uh, time and energy effort and, uh-huh. and, and resources in a lot of those static displays. And don't get me wrong, those are important. It's good to go to those. And, um, and then sometimes you'll have folks that are like, well, we're going to do a parking lot demo where we kind of show you that the drone will fly. It'll go up and it'll come down and, and that type of thing. And, and that's, that's great because it's an attention getter and you get to see some of the, you know, maybe, uh, you know, key performance issues of it. But where we really find that, you know, we just started doing it this year. This is like the new part of, of how we're moving forward. We are conducting inspection demonstrations uh, that are regional and they are immersive. So you're bringing manufacturers out, you're bringing industry practitioners and pilots out that are doing these inspections in all of those different generation, transmission, distribution, and renewable settings, and even industrial. Um, and you're bringing um, folks that are related to that industry into it that are trying to understand more about it and learn about it. And you're bringing them in and they're getting the opportunity to see everything from the data collection all the way through processing to post-processing to see what the deliverable ultimately is. So you're every phase of that um, inspection that's taking place because the early adopters in the uh, utility industry love the drones for visual inspection purposes, right? So you think of those wooden poles that mm-hmm. are everywhere in the distribution side and they, they start rotting out. You get woodpeckers taking them out. You have uh, termites or you have rotting at the top of the poles they would use like a rubber mallet and they would fly or they would have to get a bucket truck with a few people and go and do their own inspections. And if you think about that pull after pull after pull, I mean, man, that's going to take a lot of time. And I don't know, you know, what the cost, you know, is for a bucket truck all day long with gas and crew, but you start taking those um, figures and you say, Hey, this drone has been great for visual inspection. But now what, what they're seeing is, They're taking it beyond that. They're taking it to the next step. And that's where these advanced analytics and some machine learning and really, you know, just really taking this to the next level is really starting to happen. So electric utility is um, really starting to adopt um, this technology, seeing the value in it beyond a visual inspection alone. I mean, I was driving down 75 to go to our headquarters from Detroit and I, I get stopped for like, I don't know, it was almost like a 45 minute backup off 75. And I see you've got two work crews and then a truck with a boat on the back of it. A lane and a half of traffic is all backed up, you know, or excuse me, blocked off. And the snooper truck is reaching out across over the bridge and underneath it. And they're trying to do the, the bridge inspection work, but it's causing massive backups. All of these, you know, yeah. trucks and everything out there with the boat and everything else. And it's dangerous as heck. I mean, I don't have the exact number, but there are there are numbers of folks who are losing their lives in these snooper trucks that are elbow trucks over, you know, a bridge and underneath it, uh, if you mm-hmm. can imagine. So you look at a, a drone like in the Carolinas where you have like the Skydio drone that got the BB loss waiver to go and do the bridge inspections, um, you know, beyond visual line of sight and to get up in those GPS night environments and to be able to, uh, you know, do that 3D mapping and, and create some uh, excellent uh, ortho mosaics and, and, and ultimately a, a 3D model of that 
particular infrastructure and being able to really get in there and see where their integrity issues might be to be able to solve those in advance. I mean, we've been hearing about bridges collapsing, you know, quite a bit around uh, different places. And I know living here in Metro Detroit, our infrastructure so, and our roads are ro- really, really tough because of that freeze thaw, you know, that we have that goes on and trying to maintain them. So um, trust me when I tell you, like, it, it's so exciting to go and see that we can, again, keep people safer, not in these, these you know, the, 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 that snooper truck is probably one of the weirdest things I've ever seen before, but it doesn't look safe. I can tell you that much. And, uh, it, and just to save all that time and, and money and, and be much more uh, effective and efficient. I think it's always important to really, you know, even when you look at public safety, so, so you, a lot of them started saying, well, the cost of, you know, a helicopter and the time it takes to deploy. And you, know, you start looking at, at those costs. I think it's important to know that, like, nobody's looking to take away those aviation assets. Right. I think we're just looking to find ways to augment it. And, and that's what's really, really important. So this isn't about, you know, taking people's jobs. This isn't about that type of, you know, uh, movement. It's more about trying to augment some of those traditional, you know, inspections or uh, also trying to uh, find a safer tool for law enforcement sometimes than going down a fatal funnel, you know, where there may be somebody that's looking to do them harm. Um, it's just augmenting with this technology. It's not looking to replace. So the pilot is always important. Well, you talk about machine learning. Do you think um, the Skydio approach of wanting to be a little bit more autonomous is going to be the future? Is this something that companies are interested in? Do you think the quality is going to be the same or would you rather have something where it's there's more of a pilot involved rather than a, I'm going to call him a software engineer that punches in the coordinates and then sends the drone? What, so what, what do you I think was just trying to hit on it at the end because Sometimes you'll go and maybe, you know, you go to so many different these conferences and we hear a lot of different speakers and people that, you know, in this industry right now, especially you have a lot of self-proclaimed, you know, um, you know, folks that, that feel like they're the expert uh, on this technology all the way around. And it's and, and you hear things like the pilot doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, the, the drone is going to go and just, you know, fly and do all this stuff on its own. It's like you, you got to pull that back right out of the gate and say you started off wrong on that. Right. The yep. pilot always matters like that is and I, I don't see that really going away anytime soon. Right. So the whole jets. And, yeah. yeah, I've heard that for 20 years in the airplane. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that 20 years in the airplane side of things. The pattern, the, the right. pilot, you know, they can fly. No, no. It's so pilot, but you're never going to lose that, that part of it. So the quality of inspections in my mind is going to really come down to how much of those um, practitioners and subject matter experts are. Um, contributing to all of the uh, uh, machine learning and, and all of the labeling and identifying of all of the different assets that are on these structures, but then also being able to um, provide feedback of h- how you can tell when when one of those components is being assessed at, at a level that it needs to be addressed. Um, something that's a critical failure versus moderate versus low. Um, you know, there's a lot of judgment calls, right? And, you know, same thing with like a RoboCop situation, okay? You're not going to have the RoboCop situation because, yep. you know, it, it just doesn't work that way. You, know, you need to, it's, it's a very gray, you know, uh, set of things. Everything's not black and white. So you have to be able to uh, leverage a lot of the expertise and, um, and the knowledge uh, that, that's going out there. So I think where you're going to see the machine learning um, come into play and be so helpful is at least being able to go and capture um, all of those 
the data of those images and the areas that we're really looking at. Because the Skydio drone, if you, you know, I was listening to Dexter Lewis, he was basically talking about like, you've got the Skydio drone that will go and, and autonomously fly, do a, you know, a, a 3D scan of, let's just say one telephone pole, right? One electrical pole. And it gives you, let's say 40 photos. And out of the 40 photos, how many did you really need to look at each one of those components? 12, right? So how can we take that maybe two and a half minute flight of 40, 40 or 48 photos and then minimize it down to just the 12 that you actually need? Because all that extra data captured takes up storage as well as time, um, which will ultimately equal you know, a financial impact later. Um, but the processing, it's going to go much faster um, from that standpoint. And so it, it's those types of things that you want to look at in terms of, is the machine learning going to take over? Are these drones going to go and just do all of these completely on their own? No, they're going to, they're going to have to have a, uh, a human interface that's going to be able to validate. And when you also think about, we all would might assess a particular situation in a different way. Like, you, you know, if you're a big IOU um, and or you're a small cooperative um, or a municipal, and what is your rating system for something that is a moderate potential failure, low or critical? Like that assessment scale of how you're evaluating those things, it's going to differ from place to place. So how to make sure that those assessments and evaluations of that particular um, asset you know, if it needs to be addressed right now versus at a later point in time, I don't think that there's any set standard across the board, right? I think that there's some that are probably much more obvious than others, but it's not a set, you know, um, across the board. So it's just important to know that, again, you want to have someone. And again, for us, it's about having that industry expertise, bringing people together, leveraging that knowledge that they're using. And, and, you know, sometimes the tech specs say that the drone, if you just went by tech specs alone, well, this drone should be able to go, let's say, map a solar field really well for us in terms of actually doing um, some type of uh, post-processing data analysis of each one of those solar panels to make sure that they're functioning properly. According to the tech specs, it should work. But if it's not capturing the data at the right angle and in the right methodology, when you get to post-processing your deliverable, it's not going to give you what it is that you wanted. So you really do need to have that expertise and, and folks that know um, in the industry you know, what is really going to work just because the tech specs say it will doesn't necessarily mean that that's that's the case. So we try to add value not only to the customers with trying to assemble these types of uh, technology solutions unmanned, whether they're underwater, on the ground or in the air. Um, but we also try to add value to the manufacturers and telling them if you made a few different modifications to the way that the drone collects data, you would have a rock star product here for this inspection type. And, and so now manufacturers are like, oh, this is great. Like we're, we're learning from, you know, our, our dealers who are bringing, you know, their, their practitioners and customers to the, to the plate. And since this is such an evolving new thing, um, it leaves a lot of, if you have a, if you have a manufacturer who's open to and wanting that feedback and looking to make it better and improve it. I mean, Parrot is another really good example. They just came out with the, the Parrot AI. Uh, and then you have the Gov edition. Um, an off USA, but the, the new AI being, you know, the first 4G uh, drone that, again, when you look at uh, connectivity and being able to go some distance, but having, you know, 48 megapixel sensor on it, 
really is advantageous um, to the inspection world as well. And so again, they're constantly looking for ways to improve that and be able to connect it better to the actual use case. And that's what that, that, that's where we come in, where we try to help with that part of it. We also have a service center, um, I should mention. And, you know, we talk about the unscheduled landings <laughs> that people have or just some of the uh, technical help that they might need. That's what the uh, you know service center is there for, warranty coordination, startup services, that type of thing. Um, and we work with a lot of drone service providers. Uh, we are not one of them, but we work with them. And so uh, in many cases, you will see drone service providers, and this is becoming more and more popular, where you have large companies, we want them to have their own programs. We want to empower them to. But sometimes you get those big projects, you just don't have enough people to do it. So you can augment what it is that you're doing for your inspections through drone service providers to come out and be able to capture that data if you need it processed as well as post-processing. But one of the things, go ahead. So Tim, let me, let me, let me stop you here for a second. Um, I'm, I'm glad you pointed out the importance of, uh, of drone pilots. Real quick, uh, for Gresco, how many pilots, drone pilots do you guys have? And are they all Gresco employees or do you also hire uh, contractors or third party, let's say drone, uh, drone so pilots? So we have about 15 um, altogether on our team. And, and I make it a requirement that everyone um, is a Part 107 um, uh, commercial uh, drone pilot. And that also has... Um, some industry tie-in and also um, platform-specific subject matter expertise. So, as because yes. one person, if you only had a couple people, um, it's very hard. You know, I mean, when we just had DJI alone, and a lot of people don't talk about this, right? But you know, I'll throw it out for what it is because I'm I'm relatively new to the industry. But there was really one game in town, right? Like, I mean, the largest drone maker in the world. And they had multiple different platforms and they just, they worked, you know, they were really great. And, and, and they are, a, you know, a solid product in terms of their sensors and their hardware and, you know, um, their functionality. And so what I have found is it was hard enough sometimes to try to keep straight all of the different, you know, specifications and um, use cases with just that ecosystem alone. But now when you start opening it up, because, mm -hmm. you know, having both domestic and international options um, as it relates to drones, that's that's where I was going with this, is that just when we thought like, OK, we, we, we've got our, our hands around this now, we can we can understand, you know, um, our way forward. Um, certain things start happening, you know, geopolitical as well as um, data compliance. And um, it, th there's a lot of different you know components that go there. And all of a sudden it's a much larger ecosystem outside of just one manufacturer and you are now in just uncharted territory because what we want to do is not only make sure that our you know either public safety or utility folks are getting the right type of drone for the inspection that they're looking to do the right software the right components to get the deliverable but now we have to be talking to them about does it need to be a blue uas drone right does it does it need to have an ndaa compliance uh, portion to it um, so anything that's transmitting, uh, you know, collecting uh, or storing information, there's, there's, you know, it's like the back in the day with the copy machines that we'd roll right out the back door when we were ready to throw them away, didn't realize that they had an internal component for everything that was copied off of it, right? So th there is a heightened awareness to that. And I think that that also makes our jobs really interesting because we might have a solution that could work for them uh, from a practicality standpoint. But from a compliance standpoint, it, it, it's not something that, that will work well for them. And our drone service providers 
are always having to determine in what area or venue that they are working for a customer to augment their services, what type of data compliance and or um, you know uh, drone status, whether it be Blue UAS or not, that they're allowed to use while performing uh, some of their augmented work for that customer. So again, it's it's uh, it continues to make things very um, challenging but interesting. And the ingenuity that you start seeing, and like Inspired Flight was one of our newer adoptions. Um, and, and just taking a look at the, the craftsmanship and the uh, to the level that they try to go and make sure that they do a build that's going to be specific for um, particular inspections that are being conducted. And it, it's just awesome to see so many new um, players uh, to the game here in this industry and um, some that I, I believe are going to be around for, for a long time. So um, every other week we're going and testing and looking out uh, for new technology. It's uh, that can be used both for mission and inspection purposes. And, and so, uh, be in Chicago on Monday, taking, taking a look at another, uh, underwater, um, you know, inspection, uh, uh solution as well. So it's, it's just, it's exciting. It's fun. And, uh, being able to serve customers who are serving communities across the country. I don't think there's anything much more fulfilling than that. It's interesting you mentioned uh, newcomers to the to the business. This week, yeah. Skyward announced that they were going to shut down their program in order to focus on the ground robots, on terrestrial robots. And, um, you know, th this is a big company. Skyward has, obviously, they're tied to Verizon. They, they had a lot of money. And they decided that this may not be the space that they want to be in, and they want to refocus the team. Um, it's kind of a double question for you, but do you think this is a sign of things to come with this industry where maybe it's not either as big as we think it is or it's not as profitable as, as, as some larger companies uh, thought it would be? And then two, how is this affecting your customers as far as the service that they provided? Uh, do you see that there is a need for this kind of service out there? Because you obviously deal with more uh, larger customers that may yeah. be using their kind of service. No, so I, kind of I, I think that question, um, but, uh, I think what what's important is to have uh, manufacturers like ask themselves, just like us as, uh, you know, uh, drone um, value added resellers, the, those <laughs> bars that are all over the country, like the ones that have been around for a while, you know, we're, we're just like us as well. We were all things to all people. What, what do you need? We can do it. Is it real estate? Is it agriculture? Is it public safety? Is it utility? We could do it all. But really, can you? Can you do it all? Can you have all that expertise? And that No, it, it, it doesn't work that way. What we had to do is we had to reflect and say, who are we? And, and what do we do? Like, what do we want to be known for? And so for us, uh, you know, it, it, as well as the manufacturers, you know, look at a company, you know, you have like the Elios, like that particular product there. I mean, they, they know what they want. Like they want to be that the best of the confined space drone that you can find like that. That's where they want to be. The Brink drone, the best tactical drone where you got two way communication and you can bring a volatile situation to a peaceful resolve. They know what they want to do. Census. They know they want the fixed wing long range for multiple uses. Wingtra, an amazing mapping drone, fixed wing drone. A most wicked takeoff and landing is so awesome to see that, you know, the spiral out and come back down. I just, uh, we spent a whole lot of time over at uh, some solar um, fields in the, or solar farms here in the last uh, couple of weeks, just, just watching that thing uh, work and, and, and how effective and efficient it is. Um, and I guess that's the other thing that just makes this so exciting is that working with those manufacturers 
who know who they are and what their purpose-built drones are for. And when you're focused on enterprise drones, and, and that's all we do is, is enterprise-grade unmanned technology solutions. That's that's what we do. I'm not saying that consumer or prosumer drones don't have a, a component in their right space, but you can see the manufacturers are becoming much more purposeful in, in the ones that are and the ones that are really, you know, not trying to be all things to all, you know, um, inspections or all mission work, when they're really focused on what they're doing, it is really amazing to see what, uh, you know, again, the innovation that they're coming up with. And, and so, you know, for us, that's what we tell our customers, actually, we have students asking all the time. And, and this is for our listeners, because I know a lot of our listeners are trying to get into the business or have been in the business for a little bit. We always tell them to focus on that one thing. Don't try to do everything uh, at, at the average level. Try to yeah, do one thing really well. It, and that's when you're no, successful. So I'm, I'm it's glad great. You and you and even Sorry, when you're focused, right? Uh, like, I, I mean, this is our important. company's been the electric utility for, for so long, but those use cases, you just, you can't even imagine. I mean, just from generation transmission to distribution, there are so many different application uses for this stuff and how you go about acquiring those and, and actually figuring out, you know, um, how some of these different platforms might work. And then there might be the alternative use, right? Where the manufacturer did not think about their drone being used in a particular way that it gets used. And then we share that with them and they're like, well, that's not really yep. what you know it was designed for. But yep. if you're telling me it works and it's something that can provide and add value, and then then this is something that we might want to evolve into a new iteration that really specifically meets those. And so that's another fun part that we get to kind of work with some of the manufacturers and say, look, if there was a few modifications or even just a, a firmware update that did these other functions, yep. it could really be you know yeah. a, a valuable asset in this space or in this use case. And so. Um, that's also been uh, very exciting. So um, our, our customers, whether they're drone service providers or whether they are, um, it doesn't matter you know, what industry focus uh, or what uh, uh, portion of the uh, phase of power they're in, but with them challenging us all the time on, I need you to find me a solution that can do multiple you know, inspections at once or multiple missions at once, um, you know, that just really kind of excites our team. It, it, it puts us into a position where like, it's a challenge and we're like, challenge accepted. We'll figure something out. Greg, you're, you're no different. I mean, you are constantly like always trying to be right on that leading edge of things. You're always looking to say, all right, well, you're putting things to the test. You're doing the deep dives. And the, one of the things that I found why our relationship is so great and, and Gresco is just, I mean, Pilot Institute, Greg, your, your, your whole team, um, you guys are always about, look, we're not trying to play favorites here. We're just trying to say, you know, does it do what it says it's supposed to do? How is the performance? Is it because there's so much hype in social in the social yep. media uh, circles, and you know, in some cases, like the 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 media, you know, the social media hype is so great that you know you think that there's you know uh, the ability to order these drones and have them tomorrow and and actually start putting them to work, and they're not even out of a beta phase yet, but they are being marketed like they are ready to go. So. It's so great that you keep people informed yep. and updated and let them know that, um, you know, I just remember, you know, as, as, a, as a police officer, I always had to, you know, combat that whole, uh, you know, um, what do they call it? You're in the courtroom and all of a sudden it's like, oh, you can't get the evidence in, in like 10 minutes. You can't have DNA processing like in a half hour. And, you know, the CSI effect just 
you, you got to debunk that right out of the gate because if you keep watching, I mean, commercial, I see the drone that's going like under the water coming out and it's like doing all these, you know, things. It's like, Oh, that's really cool. Like I want to go get that one. And it's like, it doesn't even exist or I can't get that. And, you know, tethered drones that are, you know, in you know 80 mile an hour winds and, you know, like almost in the eye of a hurricane type thing. It's like, yeah, does that really work? Is that happening? So, yeah, it's, Maybe this is a good point to yeah. shift gears a little bit. I mean, you're you're mentioning all these things uh, that people see out on social media, on television, and it creates these expectations and these these ideas of what drones can do. Now, in order for all that stuff to become real, of course, the regulatory environment is, is, is very important as well. And within the drone industry, that means we're talking about the FAA. And for instance, when they came up with Part 107 that allowed people to start using drones commercially, which was a, a, a big step up basically for for the entire industry uh the next big thing arguably is remote id and i'm curious to hear from you uh what your opinion is about remote id how crucial do you think it is what are some of the downsides or concerns perhaps that you may have and uh yeah it'd be interesting for you to uh, to share that so with, i think uh, we have audience, those we meet with all of our um, manufacturers um either bi-weekly monthly um it's always on a regular basis and of course we always seem to start out with the question mm -hmm. How are you resolving this, uh, you know, this, this requirement that's coming down the pike? Is there a solution that you have in place? Yeah. Um, and so and if, if people are purchasing, you know, a, a costly drone right now, they're kind of like, is it going to be compliant, though? Like, can I get a letter that says it's going to be compliant? Um, so we worry about it from some of those standpoints. But when you look at it at its core, like um, we had uh, for quite some time an airspace you know, security program uh, with the Aeroscope program. And um, and so we really, you have like, there's a lot of different, you know, folks that do, um, you know, drone detection work out there and some counter drone measures. But um, again, when you have to decide like who we are and what we do um, to, to try to have a whole separate program that's on drone detection and why that's important, understanding situational awareness of your environment that you're in, in airspace. Um, mm -hmm. Aerial Armor, one of our partners, um, they have just, you know, they've taken it to a different level and with their software engineers and their mobile applications and their multi-layered approach to it, um, it's it's important. It is very important and especially important in complex environments. Um, so when you kind of translate that over to remote ID, much like the ADSB with with uh, manned aircraft or crewed aircraft, um, you know, it's it's one of those. Um, I, I think I think it's a very important piece. How we go about getting there, I think, is where things get a little bit challenging, right? So to what degree and what method and how costly it's going to be and, and what the actual standard is going to wind up being, it just has to be something that's attainable. Mm -hmm. And it's something that's going to have to be able to retrofit onto legacy drones. Like you just want to make sure that any time that yeah. you're coming up with, uh, you know, in the regulatory world, some type of a mandate um, that you're just doing it in a way that. Um, can be adopted, can be embraced, and can be understood. And uh, having yeah. been in law enforcement for a long time, right? Who goes to the uh, sporting match to you know cheer on the referees? Nobody, right? So having been a referee of life, like it's interesting to see the legislature will come out with these laws and stuff that you know we might not agree with, but we're charged with the responsibility of enforcing and educating other people as to why they're uh, important and, and and that type of thing. So I just think that the way that this is being communicated and how it can be adapted and of course how it can be acquired uh, unfunded mandates um, are, are a world that i used to live in especially being a local municipal police chief right 
you know, that you'll have all types of mandates that start coming out, but whether they're funded or not and have the ability to go out there to enforce to the degree that they're, you know, seeking to be done can be challenging. So yeah. um, I think that there's a ways to go with that yet. And I think that they really, you know, we just need to be mindful um, about what the implementation looks like in that and how people can get it. Um, I'm glad you pointed it out because I know from uh, first responders that they work with limited budgets, getting a drone program up and running and investing in equipment and the commercial drones tend to be a lot more expensive than uh, the consumer drones that people typically get, of course. I mean, we're talking 10, 20, $30,000 uh, and then you get the additional equipment and the training of people. So being able to, to get more of a lifetime or use time out of that equipment is important. Um, the other concern that we've heard from a lot of people when it comes to remote ideas, uh, making the pilot location public information meaning that anybody basically can can trace down where that person uh, is in real time flying that expensive commercial drone is that something that you're concerned about yeah, uh, the so, pilot information um, being public? You know, I, I was a, a foot soldier for the Constitution for a number of years so um, I, I very much you know uh, yeah. uh, feel you know people's privacy is important uh, clearly um, I, I think that again how that implementation works and to what degree um, in what circumstances information like that would be um, made widely available versus, um, you know, less so something that would be th uh, through some type of a, maybe a judicial process uh, or otherwise, if there were an infraction or if there was some type of a, a behavior uh, with that particular um, technology that was uh, potentially being used in a nefarious way. Um, so I, I do feel that, um, you know, privacy is important. Um, I also feel like the legitimate, um, especially in this industry right now, the legitimate uh, folks that are out there doing commercial-based uh, drone pilot work, um, I, I don't think that it necessarily matters, right? Like if you're out there and you're in areas that you're supposed to be, if you're following the regulations, and if you know you are you know working in an environment that again you have all of the um, legal and you know. Uh, otherwise regulatory right to be, I don't know why that would be such a concern or such an issue. Of course, I haven't really gone through, you know, all of the different aspects of this, but I will tell you that this piece of technology, just like anything else, you know, if it were to be involved in a crime, you'd obviously want to make sure that you followed the judicial process uh, in, in order to acquire any type of forensic information from that drone to include, you know, it's telemetry, it's uh, pilot information, serial numbers, and all that type of thing. So it's it's important uh, for people to understand that it's yeah. an emerging technology, and uh, but that doesn't mean that there's not you know the appropriate pathways to acquire it. So you know, talking about regulation, and Florida recently passed this rule for public safety use of of UAS, and specifically banned two brands of drones, DJI and Hotel. Um, is this something that you see having repercussion down the line? I know we've talked to a lot of our public safety uh, customers and, and just in general, this seems to be uh, something that's going to be uh, making their job a lot more difficult. You you used to be a police officer, like you said, and, and in the police department. So is this something that so uh, I we think should what's be important with when you look at it from this perspective, you have a, a wide adoption of of technology that's out there and that technology it does collect store and transmit data it does right to what degree that it's it's transmitting back to foreign servers and, and different things like that um, i'm not a data analysis expert 
Um, but what I will say is these are tools, right? These are in, in many cases, life-saving tools, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, you know, all of the different scenarios, public safety, as well as utility is going out and using these for. Here's the issue that I'm hearing from so many um, of, of uh, my former you know, colleagues in, in the public safety world on that front, the adoption and the investment and the use of those tools has been so critical in protecting communities, um, helping keep them connected and helping keep them you know, uh, energized. Like to, to, to take those away um, in a way that you don't supplant or replace really does, it does create a lot of, you know, frustration. It also, you know, pulls away a resource, a life-saving resource. Um, and so, look, if, if, if there are, you know, concerns and there's, there's legitimate reasons uh, that we should be concerned about, you know, uh, national security, you know, uh, interests that, that are being compromised, because of the transmitting of, of, of particular data, especially surrounding, you know, critical infrastructures, mm -hmm. things like that, then, you know, I, I am all for that. Definitely, we need to move forward with some type of action. I don't have all the information on, you know, the legitimacy or not. But what I would say is you, you got to think about giving those agencies who have spent not just their own local money, but federal and state money into these, your tax paying citizens. Oh, yeah. And if we're being good stewards of taxpayer resources yep. in those positions, we've got to be thinking about if we're going to take away a potential life, you know, uh, saving tool, what are we supplanting? What, what are we giving it back? You know, what are we putting in its place? It's no different than, you know, the FBI going yep. and closing yep. down 100%. a pain clinic where a doctor was giving out copious amounts of opioids and and uh, all of a sudden going in and you know do the right thing. I mean, this is a doctor who is, is doing this in in the wrong way. It's a, it's a healthcare fraud situation. You go in and you, and you and you take that doctor out of that situation. You close down that clinic. Well, you have a whole host of people in that community that feel in their mind they were legitimately getting right the the type of pain medication that. that they feel that they needed for whatever those conditions were, and that goes away. Then they're going to go to mm -hmm. buying pills. When those get too expensive, they'll go to heroin. So you can't create yeah. this situation where you have so, these life-saving tools that are out there, and then in the flick of a switch, you can't use them anymore. So there just needs to be a plan mm -hmm. that if, if we're going to go ahead and ban those, we can't use those, or we can't, no there's, there's a future date. Yep. Well, let's make sure on the other side of what we do, we at least try to create a way for them to be able to uh, replace those with ones that, are, again, are not going to have that same um, concern. So Skydio and Parrot and some others that we've really been working with, so, uh, especially down in that area, have been incredibly important. Yep. 
So let me let me pause you here then for a second because this is like the perfect segue to uh, to my next and and uh, the last question of this interview. Um, what do we replace it with? So the government came up with a solution, uh, blue SUAS, the blue drones, uh, a select group of manufacturers with drones that should be completely manufactured and designed and assembled here in the US. Uh, as far as I know, most of them still contain parts that are made in China, but at least the drones are being assembled here in the United States. Uh, these drones tend to be a lot more expensive and they are being delivered in smaller quantities, so they might not be able to serve the communities and all those first responders that are looking to get drones in their programs what is your opinion about blue sus do we do you see this as a viable solution or are there still so i don't think there's going to be anyone in the industry that will dispute the fact that there are definitely um uh differences uh between more domestic or some of the other uh international drones that are within that in terms of Mm -hmm. their sensor capabilities um overall construction availability um of course i mean there, there is, there are um, definitely differences. They're not all disparaging, but for the most part, you have the world's largest drone maker or two that have literally, you know, developed ecosystems. They've had opportunities over so many years to really, um, you know, refine their products. Um, yeah. That I think that, of course, you know, with with emerging markets here, I think it it opened up a really great opportunity for. Um, U.S.-based manufacturers to really start, you know, acquiring some funding and, and opportunities to really start trying to address this. So I, I find that part of it to be really, you know, uh, pretty awesome. But on the other side of it, um, I do recognize it. It is a costly, um, it's a costly move when you're trying to replace the others and you're trying to get the same level of flight time and sensor capabilities and and some of the other aspects to them, even third party you know, um, integrations and things like that, it takes time. Um, so we're razor focused right now on really trying to make sure that we are identifying a diverse set of opportunities um, that uh, meet the compliance, meet the the, um, the blue UAS standards, but also are able to um, more than adequately conduct that inspection or uh, they are able to go in into that mission and, and accomplish that. So. Um, you know, again, people like, you know, Blake Resnick over there that's putting together that very specific product, you, you know, uh, talking to FX all the yeah. time about how they're trying to get their, their stuff moved along. You look at, you know, uh, the ingenuity that Skydio is coming out with and it's, it, and it's just continuing to come. But to your point, are they widely available? Are they uh, always within the pricing structure? Mm-hmm. Uh, and in some cases, they're not just a capital expense now. They're also an operational expense. And for some folks in their procurement, that becomes very problematic that, uh, you know, that there's an ongoing uh, cost. So we just yeah. got to find ways around those to make it work for them. And so we're, we're, <laughs> we're constantly looking at what is a, another adoption that makes sense and that is something that um, is proven uh, to be able to, to, to work. So again, for us, we find the best way to do that is to work with the manufacturer, the practitioner, subject matter expert, um, and go out and actually conduct these uh, uh, inspections and also put these uh, you know pieces of technology out into the field because they you know we want to make sure that the customer has what they need when they need it and not try to just sell them something based on we're not a box mover by any means we we want to be a value add and we want the long term relationship and that's what Gresco is really all about we're we're we're, we're here to see you through the whole life cycle of your drone program. If you have one, if you don't have one yet, we're here to help you build it 
and, and we really do specialize with lots of enterprises, very large um, companies or um, organizations and helping them be able to scale this. So it's important for those pilots, not only to know the mission type or the inspection type, but it's also important for them to know the platform, its limitations, where it excels and have experience in that. And, um, and so there, there's a lot of really, you know, the evolving, you know, drones and boxes and the DFR program that Chula Vista and Fritz Reber out there and, and, and his crew, um, Captain Redmond, the rest of them. I mean, it, it's been so great to meet all these people in this drone industry and it's become just like this whole new family thing. But the cast of characters, it, it, it's pretty awesome. I mean, it keeps it very engaging. And, and uh, you know, and, and again, it's uh, we do a lot of traveling, I mean, all over the place. and. Uh, we sometimes are away from our family. So generally, like if, if you know, can't wait to come back out there and meet with you guys. But generally, I always give a toast um, at every dinner because Gresco is also, I told you, we don't miss lunches. And we definitely want to make sure everyone's uh, joining us for dinners. That's for sure. So you guys got to hook up with us when uh, when we're out there. But I always make a toast at each one of those dinners with, the, you know, our drone partners. Uh, ask McBride. I mean, he's usually right at my right side on it, but it's always, you know, to the family that we have right into the one that we make along the way. And so I feel like with this, uh, this drone industry, it, you know, I could, I could pick up the phone just like I could in law enforcement. I graduated from the FBI National Academy. I have contacts globally that I could call up and just say, Hey, I'm a National Academy grad. Can you help me with this case or whatever I got going on? I thought that that was the only kind of thing that existed that way in the drone world now. Like, you start getting out. We're in these circles. I just have to pick up a phone. And even if they're a competitor, if you will, it doesn't matter. Like they're, what can we do to help you? And, you know, there's more than enough business for everybody to go around. Right. And the ones that are out there to do this for the right reasons, the ones that are wanting to be here for the long term, we're not looking to just move a quick box and make a quick sale and, and beyond. Right. We want to make sure we're there for the long term. So I appreciate everything that, uh, Greg, uh, you have me on and be a part of this and look forward to, you know, contributing in the future. And, we got way smarter, more engaged, you know, people than me on our team. I'd rather have them speak with you and talk about the great work they're doing. So I'll get them over to you. And, you know, we, we always end up the conversation with uh, what is your favorite drone? And I know you've flown a lot of different ones. So maybe you can tell us the drone that you would pick up if you were to just go and have fun. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know what? It's it's tough. I love Skydios. Um, I'm sure she loves The that. obstacle avoidance. Like, I just, you know, I, up north, you know, I'll go flying right into the mm -hmm. trees and like, all. I mean, take it out on the boat, have it track the kids while they're on the tubes and stuff. And um, no, I don't know. Like, you know, it's just... It's been with all of these new drones that have continued to come out. I'm telling you, like the, the wing truck for fixed wing and the, the the sense. I don't know. It's it's really hard. Uh, census uh, with with that detect and avoid. Like when you have ADSB sensing unit on it, where it's it's you know you get a plane there. That thing. It's just awesome. It's on it's on this mission flight, right? And it detects. It comes down. It goes into an orbit, and then it will come right back on. And it's just. Uh, I'm telling you, I, I think that. It is it is uh, tough, you know, with some of the regulatory pieces that are impacting some of the industry. There's there's no doubt, right? I, I my my heart goes out to some of those, uh, especially the public safety agencies that have to try to retool right now and do it in quick order. But um, man, there's there's some really cool yeah. technology that's that's uh, coming out there that's uh, not just a toy, but it's a tool. And uh, you know, we just got to respect it, and we just got to make sure that we have safety integrated into every aspect of the flight. Um, never lose sight and focus of the pilot. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to hear that there does seem to be some um, 
leeway that's being given here with FAA lately. They really seem to be not wanting to sort of, you know, crush, you know, people's uh, interest in wanting to take this technology to the next level and really have it evolve. So I know, Greg, you know, from your perspective, are you seeing the same thing where we're starting to see a little bit more, um, you know, wanting to advance this a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I think the FA, I think many folks at the FA want to see this working. I think it's the overall machine as the FA as a, a general entity yeah. that's a bit harder to move forward just because it's a, it's a bureaucratic nightmare. And that's, you know, no, nothing that has to do with, I think, the people at the FA. I think it's just the machine in itself is, uh, is just a slow government entity. And, and we'll all have to deal with this, unfortunately. Yeah, but no, I, uh, I don't think anyone at the FA is trying to slow this down purposely. I think it's just the way that it happens. So uh, we'll see beyond visual side. We'll see remote ID. We'll see all yeah. these things uh, in <laughs> due sure. time. Well, I look in, forward uh, to getting together with you at, soon. At government um, speed. Let's put it this way. You know, <laughs> it, it's just a pleasure to be on with you guys. Uh, and I definitely appreciate the opportunity to talk about the place I love to work at. So, awesome. um, you know. We definitely appreciate having you on for sure. And uh and we will, uh, this uh, episode will go live on Tuesday. Uh, we do episodes every Tuesday. So if you're one of our followers, uh, you know when uh, these things go live. And Tim, thank you so much for, for joining us and, and talking about your passion. Thanks, guys. You guys have a great day. Awesome. Right, thank you for being there. on the show. All right, thanks.